0: Um, sacred sound bites, that's uh, how, we, how we've uh, labeled it. And um, <clears throat> you may remember that uh, right at the beginning, we described Proverbs as a collection of Israel's wisdom literature, um, which um, probably gathered over the whole history of the nation. But Solomon puts his name to it, he's probably compiled it. He obviously composed some of them, um, but clearly others. Um, are from other people who add their names to them, so we 're just dipping in, and we 've really left it to the preachers to to find something that they, they want to pick on so this morning, uh, if you 've got your sermon notes they 're just kind of outlines uh, you don 't have to be looking at them necessarily but <clears throat> and most of the scriptures I quote will uh, have the reference in there but um, we 're looking at Proverbs chapter eleven verses 24 and 25 and it goes like this one person gives freely yet gains even more another withholds unduly but comes to poverty a generous man will prosper whoever refreshes others will be refreshed and I guess mainly that's talking about money finance and wealth and I want to try and see what our response is in the context um, of a world that is just soaked with issues about finance and money. So let's ask God to help us. Father, we, we thank you for your wisdom. Father, we thank you that your wisdom, Lord, is beyond man's wisdom. And Father, thank you that you have chosen, Lord, to reveal your wisdom, most especially in Jesus Christ. He is our wisdom. Uh, Lord, he is our wisdom from God and our righteousness and our sanctification, everything that we need. And so we ask you, Lord, as we look at uh, these ancient sayings, Father, that we'll see them in the context of our relationship with you uh, through the Lord Jesus. Help us, we pray, in his name. Amen. I'm sure if you are an avid news watcher, as I tend to be, at least like to watch the news once once a day, I don't buy newspapers very often other than a holiday. But there are certain things that dominate the news, aren't there? And, of course, we've been praying for places like Syria and we see the terrible devastation that war and greed and all the other things bring around the world. And quite naturally, these issues are brought to us on the television and we see the plight of refugees. And this often raises people's concerns, in well-off countries and things uh, like um, the, the money raising that we see th- uh, through television and so on, comic relief and so on, causes people to want to contribute to that. But on another tack, one of the popular or most prevalent act- uh, and co- topics that we see on television is that to do with money. And um, uh, we've, over the last year or so we've been aware that nations we thought were quite stable Um, have run out of money uh, and they're in terrible recession and they're having to borrow money. I often wonder, where do they borrow the money from? Who is it? (laughs) I guess it's the bank somewhere or other that they're borrowing money. Um, But that's what we have to do. And um, particularly the Eurozone is in great trouble and they face astronomical debt, figures that we hardly ever are able to kind of work out that, uh, that is the level of their debt. And we find the experts come on television and they like to analyse the situation and forecast uh, what's going to be happening with the economy. And we get the, the, the jargon, don't we? GDP. Are you concerned about GDP? No, really? But, um, and they, they talk about double-dip recession. This is what we're heading for. And the reason is we're not making enough. We're not manufacturing enough. And we're not selling enough. People are not buying enough. We're not spending enough money. But in the midst of all this, uh, in our nation, we have extremes of poverty and wealth. Uh, We're told that now one in five children in this nation are below the poverty line. Now, that's not quite the same poverty as Africa. But nevertheless... Uh, they're lacking is p- what people uh, deem to be essentials in life. One in five children. And yet, on the other s- end of the scale, uh, there are bankers earning millions and getting bonuses of millions. But we live in a capitalist society. Uh, and this is what you get with a capitalist society. There's free enterprise. People are allowed to start businesses, raise money, let borrow money, lend money. It's the way things work. And um, you can't opt out. <clears throat> Just recently, Richard Bryars died, didn't he? The actor, and us oldies will remember him and Felicity Kendall in The Good Life, um, where this couple, um, Tom and Barbara Good, um, tried to live independent of society. So they, they, they produced all their crops in the garden, out had a pig and various other things. But of course they weren't independent, they had to use the infrastructure of the nation. Anyway, but... Capitalism in one sense encourages covetousness because we have to buy things to keep things going. So we get the adverts telling us what we need. Things that we didn't need last year, we need them this year. And of course if we need money, then we need ways of getting money. So things like the the National Lottery is depicted as the most wonderful thing in the world. Somebody who's looking pretty glum, but then he wins the lottery. He's he's suddenly on a sun-drenched beach, you know, cheering and all the rest of it. And then, of course, um, gambling is is still very popular. And one time, um, you either had to go to the race course or the dogs uh, or go into a betting shop. Now you can do it on your mobile phone. You can bet huge amounts of money. On your mobile phone. And of course we have uh, payday loans now. And uh, obviously I do appreciate that maybe getting near payday, there are some people that are desperate for money. But we have loan sharks, uh, unscrupulous people, who are making a fortune out of people's misfortune. And the the, the APR, the, the interest, is over a 1,000%. Over a 1,000%. So people are after money. And of course... We know that wealth is deceitful, isn't it? It promises a great deal, but often delivers very little in terms of happiness, peace and contentment. But it's not necessarily wrong to have money. You can do good things with money. And uh, I I watched a little bit of the um, Richard Dimbleby lecture by Bill Gates on the television. And Bill Gates, as you probably know, is the founder of the Microsoft Corporation, um, probably one of the richest men in the world, But he and his wife are investing money uh, in a project to eradicate polio from the world. I think that's great. That's a great use of money. So it isn't always uh, a bad thing. It's not wrong in itself. But it does make false promises and it brings many worries to life. And the love of it leads to all kinds of evil. If you were to list all the, the typical crimes, many of them have money at the root. People want money um, one way or another, so they're prepared to commit all sorts of crimes uh, to get it. And worst of all, for us as, as Christians or prospective Christians, it can keep us from the kingdom of God. And Jesus had much to say about its destructive influence. Jesus probably talked about money more than most other things uh, in his ministry. For instance, um, in the parable of the sower where the sower go out to sow seed. The seed is the word of God. The, the soil that it lands in are the hearts of people and people receive it in different ways. And in one case, um, it's choked. The word of God is choked. It says the seed falling among the thorns <coughs> refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. It starts to grow. But other things, the worries and the concerns about money and the deceitfulness of it and it causes that seed to be choked, choked. It also steals our heart. If we love God, then God should have our heart. But Jesus says this, Do not store up treasure for yourselves on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. We can understand that, can't we? If if our whole purpose in life is to increase and amass wealth, that's where our heart will be. Um, but God wants our heart, and it makes it hard for us to enter the kingdom of God. It's an incident in the scriptures. Um, in Luke 18, where a young man comes to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, obey the commandments. He said, I've done this from from a little boy. He said, well, just one thing you lack. Go and sell all your possessions and give to the poor and come and follow me. Now that wasn't a general instruction for every all of us to get rid of our possessions and give to the poor. But Jesus knew this man's heart and he knew that his possessions meant far more to him than the kingdom of God and following him. And of course the young man turns away and Jesus looked at him and said how hard it is for, for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. So it's deceitful. It keeps us from the kingdom. Well, if money is not wrong in itself, what is at stake regarding the kingdom of God? Well, it's firstly, it's our attitude to money and it's our use of it. And, of course, our attitude will affect our use of it. So our attitude to money. As God's beloved children, as children of the king... Nevertheless, we do not have a right to this world's wealth. Right? We don't have a right to the things that this world produces. And I can't find anything in the scripture that supports what is known as the prosperity gospel. Does that name mean something to you? The prosperity gospel? Well, there are Christians and churches that, that have this rationale. They say, you're, you're a child of the king. The king owns everything. And you should have the best in life. So you should have the best car, the best house. You should have money to spare and so on. And because you're a child of the king. Now I don't, I don't find that in the scriptures. And it's, I was reading John Piper and he said this is a, an over-realized view of eschatology. Now eschatology is just a knowledge of the end times. How God is going to wind up the whole universe. It's an over-realized view of it. What does he mean by that? Well, in the scriptures, God promises us great riches. He says we are heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, that we will inherit the earth. Jesus said the meek will inherit the earth, not just a few pounds in the bank, but the whole earth. But this is in the age to come. This is in the new heavens and the new earth. But in the meantime, that, that age to come is breaking into this age. And we will see miracles. We will see healing. We will see people provided with finance in a miraculous way, but it's not all the time and it's not for everyone because that is the age to come. And what these people are doing is interpreting the age to come into now and saying we should have it now when the scripture doesn't really support that. Jesus became poor that we might become eternally rich. Not just economically poor, but the whole drama of Jesus coming out of heaven and coming to earth and being a servant and laying down his life, he became poor for our sakes. And if we're going to follow him in taking his message of love to the world, then he says, if you're going to be my disciple, you've got to be prepared to deny yourself, to take up your cross and follow me. And to deny ourselves may be all sorts of things. But if we believe that and we say, yes, yes, that, that's what I, I want to do. I want to deny myself. I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to follow hard after him. And yet, on the other hand, believe that all the riches of the world belong to us. Uh, we're going to sh- shred our conscience to bits. It's just not going to work. Paul says this to Timothy. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Maybe those many griefs are... They're trying to follow Jesus but they're trying to follow money. Jesus said um, you can't serve God and money. It doesn't make money wrong but we cannot serve it. We cannot serve it. Our use of money then. Well, I believe that grace and generosity are the key to our use of money. And Everything we have, everything that, that, that we have in life, is a grace gift from God. And uh, God has made us stewards of that. Very often we think, no, it, it all belongs to me. It, it's all mine. Um, I, you know, I've worked for it. I went to university, and I worked hard, and um, I, I got a good degree, and I got a good job, and in that job, I've worked all the hours I've got, so everything I have belongs to me. It's, it's down to my credit. But you have to ask the question, who gave you the ability in the first place? Who gave you the opportunities? Who gave you the health to pursue your education? Who gave you those opportunities later? We have to say that everything, everything we have comes from God. It's a graced gift from God and that we are stewards of God's generosity and he holds us accountable for what we do with it. Jesus said, freely you have received, freely give. That's in Matthew 10. So then, that's the introduction. The Proverbs 11, 25, 24 and 25. I'll just break it down into small little chunks here. One person gives freely. So who is the person who gives freely? Well, it's the one who knows the grace of God and will not always give what is deserved. If we know the grace of God, we know that God has blessed us far beyond our deserts. We don't deserve the blessing of God. We don't deserve our salvation. We don't deserve a place in heaven. And I believe God wants us to see other people like that. So, and I've done it myself to my shame sometimes, that there's somebody in in need, somebody may be begging, and I thought to myself, I don't know. they've probably got a Mercedes round the corner or whatever. I've got a Mercedes round the corner. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I should have used... Right, let They've probably got a Rolls Royce round the corner. <laughs> or this money's going to somebody else. So I'm not going to give it to them. Now, I'm not suggesting that we don't, uh, we don't act with some wisdom in how we give money away. Of course of course, we do. But should we always be asking questions and not trusting uh, that if we are prompted to give, uh, then we should give freely and generously in those circumstances, not, not holding back, not analysing everything that we give. The other person who gives freely is one who knows he is a steward and not an owner. <clears throat> now I've made reference to that already. But of course this doesn't only apply to money, it applies to everything we have, our homes. And can we honestly say, Lord, my home belongs to you, and you can do with it what you like. And um, if you want someone to live in our spare room, Lord, it's your house, it's not my house. Hard, isn't it, sometimes? Because we look after our things sometimes, don't we, most of the time perhaps. And we're not sure how other people are going to treat them, but The person who gives freely is someone who knows he's a steward and not an owner, not an owner of things. (coughs) Freely, um, I'd say it could refer to hospitality, it could refer to love and care of people, of course. Freely equals without compulsion, not legalistically. Now, If you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know that enshrined in the law, the people had to give 10% of their income and their produce to support the priestly family that served them, because the priests had nothing. All the tribes of Israel were given portions of the land, but the priests had nothing, and now the people supported the priests. And that was a legal requirement uh, for the Israelites, to give 10%. And uh, so we trust that's indeed uh, what they did. But although in the New Testament, they're, they're, that, the principle of supporting those who serve you, now in the church, still exists. I do not believe a specific sum of money uh, is ever mentioned in the New Testament. There are churches around the world that say, if you want to be a member here, you've got to sign that you're going to give 10% of your income to this church. Uh, I I believe that's a bit of compulsion, to be honest. Uh, I believe God leaves it to our hearts. If God has touched our hearts, we will give. And um, what we read uh, in 2 Corinthians uh, is this. He, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves hilarious giving. all right, Because it comes from the heart and we love to give. So it's not legalistic. It's not legalistic. Um, so... We don't give with compulsion. And we give with faith, Someone, uh, sometimes beyond what we can afford. When we think about, um, well, somebody says, can you do this? I say, well, I can't afford that. Well, that means different things to different people, doesn't it? What it means is, um, um, if I have all the things I want, I can't afford it. Um, But if, in fact, by faith, we are prepared to put aside... Um, the, the purchase of something that we need. I mean, it could even, I've heard of people who've been saving up for a holiday and God has spoken to them about um, a particular need and they felt that they should, they should give their holiday money to this person and by the time their holiday comes round, God has provided a, a fantastic holiday for them. Now, there's no guarantee that's going to happen, but that's a, an illustration of giving by faith beyond what we think we can afford. The next phrase is, yet gains even more. It's not a right, uh, in the same way we don't have a right to this world's goods uh, and finance. It's not a right, but if we give, God may give us even more, so that we can give more. And uh, Jesus said this, Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. As I say, God is not obliged to make up what we give, but most Christians find that we can't outgive God. You know, you, you give money away and somehow or other um, more money comes. And somebody's give a, given a, what I think is a really good illustration uh, of the Sea of Galilee and the, the Dead Sea as, as an example of a generous giver and of a stingy person so Sea of Galilee uh, and the Dead Sea if you look on the map the River Jordan flows in the north end of the Sea of Galilee and uh, it flows out at the bottom of the Sea of Galilee and a little bit further down it goes into the Dead Sea now if you, I've not been to Galilee some of you may have done but as I understand it, it's thriving with fish it provides employment for people it's full of life it serves the area wonderfully uh, but if you look at the Dead Sea, there's nothing, it is dead, nothing survives in it, uh, nothing survives in it at all other than, chalk, su- other than salt um, What's the difference? The difference is that the Sea of Galilee has water flowing in and it has water flowing out The Dead Sea has just water flowing in and that's a good illustration isn't it, that if we are those who, as God supplies our need, we're able to supply the needs of others, then we will refresh people and we'll be refreshed ourselves. If we hold it all to ourselves, we'll become stagnant, become stagnant. So what we gain from this, it says, yet gains even more, may be joy and godly fulfilment. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Do you believe that? Or do we say, no, I want to hang on to it? It's not not really. I don't, don't think so. Well, if Jesus said it, it means this is what we gain. We gain blessing if we give. If we give. <clears throat> the next phrase, another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. My emphasis so far has been on... God gives to us so that we can give to others. And as we give, God may give us more so that we can give to others. But I don't think we should assume that God only gives us for others. It's for ourselves as well. It's for us to enjoy. God gives us all things richly to enjoy, an older version uh, used to say. And um, so it's, it, it isn't just for others. If God blesses us, God blesses us. And he wants us to enjoy that. However, there are people who whose calling is poverty. Uh, I guess some nuns are called to poverty. They give up everything for the sake of Jesus and to serve him and pray and whatever. And and other people feel that that is their calling. In the back of my mind, I have the name Uncle Hoppy. Anybody heard of Uncle Hoppy? No, it's, it's associated um, with Open Doors and Brother Andrew, I think. Uncle Hoppy um, Uh, was a man who um, had a reasonable income, but he kept only the bare minimum for himself. You went into his home, there'd be no carpets on the floor, uh, there'd be just sticks of furniture, very simple food. But he delighted in giving most of his money away to mission. And it wasn't a burden, this was his calling from God. And so for him, um, he... he didn't need to enjoy his money in that way because it was his enjoyment to give it away. But that would be exceptional. So what do we mean withholding unduly? It is, I think, accumulating wealth for its own sake. In other words, it is right to withhold some money for our own provision, for the provision of our family, for our own enjoyment. But the person being referred to here. Is holding it all to themselves. It's, it's undue holding to themselves. And the believer who withholds unduly becomes poor in faith because his security now is in his ever-increasing store of wealth. This is my security rather than that my security is in God. 1 Timothy 6 says this. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. I've quoted that in a different version. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. We don't often like to think about this, do we? The rewards of the life to come. But Jesus, as I read earlier, talked about storing up treasure in heaven. Uh, And also, here is a firm foundation for the age to come. It's not about salvation. Salvation doesn't come by these things. But we can invest in the kingdom of God that we will benefit from later. He says, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Life that is truly life. Also, I believe the person who withholds unduly um, will be devoid of the fruit of the Spirit, or some of the fruit of the Spirit. Goodness and kindness, which is part of the fruit of the Spirit, um, often is expressed in finance or sharing what we have. And I think we we limit the fruit of the spirit if in fact we if we hold withhold unduly. That's you find the fruit of the spirit in Galatians five. Right, the last statement: a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Now you might have been thinking this is a good word for the wealthy. Okay, if people have got plenty of money. Of course, they can be generous. But we find that's not the principle that's expressed in the Bible. Um, it isn't about how much money you've got, it's your heart. And very often, it's the poor it's the poor who are more generous. Um, I don't know if you've done it, but I haven't done it recently, but I used to go collect for a couple of societies. I think it was Kidney Research used to go around the houses and deliver envelopes and collect the money. Generally... Uh, I got a better response from the housing estate than I did from the big houses, generally. All right. So it isn't to do with how much money you've got. In the big houses, they just didn't want to know. They didn't want to know. Generosity is measured by the heart, not the amount of the gift. Luke 21 there is the incident where Jesus and his disciples come to the temple and they see people putting money in the treasury. That was the thing that they were required to do and of course the wealthy were there and they would make a big show of putting their money in Uh, but there was this poor widow woman uh, who had just two copper coins uh, and she put that money in, I expect she did it hoping that nobody saw what she put in, where the other guys hoped that everybody did see what they put in and Jesus had an estimate about that now I remember years ago seeing a, a bit of drama where this was done and um First of all, you have these, the rich man comes on, finely dressed, top hat, big wallet. And while he's thumbing through his, his notes, the, the, the song is playing Big Spender. Hey, Big Spender, you know, Shirley Betty. And of course, he makes a big show of putting his money in. And uh, the widow woman, she creeps up hoping nobody will see it and she drops the coin in. And then as a the priest comes along... And he's acting like a pair of scales and he takes out the man's wallet and he puts the, put it on the scales and then somehow or other with, with another hand I don't know quite remember now he puts the, the woman's two coins and there he's on the scales like this and suddenly the scales go down in favour of the woman's coin. I think it's a really, really powerful thing. This is what uh, that Jesus said about it. As Jesus looked he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow ...put in two small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. That's God's assessment. So in order to be generous um, in that sense, uh, we don't have to have a lot of money. It's what's in our heart. And... um, 2 Corinthians 8 there that I've quoted, um, it's included in your cell notes um, as a bit of discussion. But just let let me read it to you. The setting is this. There's a famine in the Jerusalem area and the Christians are suffering in Jerusalem. And the apostle, which is one of the roles of the apostles, is contacting other churches where there's no famine mostly in Macedonia and other places, other parts of the empire. And he's encouraging them to make take up an offering for the those that are suffering in Jerusalem. And he's now talking to the Corinthian church. But he's using the Macedonian church as an example of good giving. Uh, and he says this. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that has Has that God has given the Macedonian churches? Note that the grace, all right, it's all about this is all about God's grace in the midst of a very severe trial. Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify, they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. And look at their attitude, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. In other words, they entrusted the money to Paul to do with it what needed to be done. So there's a question there. How does this work out? How do, you, how do you give beyond your ability to give? It, it, I, you know, it's very striking, isn't it? But these people were overjoyed to do it, overjoyed. So Jesus made it clear that craving riches, serving riches, accumulating riches will either keep us from the kingdom or stunt our growth if we're already in the kingdom and probably diminish our reward in heaven. Whereas investing in the kingdom and generously blessing others will have eternal consequences in this life and will be refreshed. When I was thinking about this subject, um, Ebenezer Scrooge came to mind. Now I think we all know the Christmas carol, don't we, and Ebenezer Scrooge. And it all starts off with him, the measly miser. He's very, very rich, but he's very stingy. Uh, he won't give to charity. He won't provide enough coal for Bob Cratchit to have any warmth in the office. Christmas is humbug. It's, he's thoroughly, thoroughly miserable. But he's visited by his former dead partner, Jacob Marley, uh, who through various um, ghosts shows him his present life, or his past life, his present life, and the fut- what the future will be like if he does not change. And he does change. And what does he do? He suddenly becomes generous. And uh, he finds a joy in giving his money away. He's skipping down the street. This is great. Let's, he goes and buys a turkey uh, for the Cratchit family. And he, he just wants a joy, joining all the joy of it all. And I think this is an example. Who, whoever refreshes others will be refreshed himself. And we all, we all kind of identify with that. We say, absolutely great I don't know whether that was the main purpose of, um, of, of Charles Dickens whether that was the main message that we, he needed to put across but, but I had that picture um, having seen a kind of cartoon version of it quite recently of, of once a, a measly miser miserable and now full of joy because he's, he's, he's bringing joy and blessing to other people so he prospers in that way but we have a real person who did that and that's Zacchaeus the tax man Um, if you're you're old you all know a little little song about Zacchaeus being up in the sycamore tree but we won't sing it but tax collectors in the time of Jesus were hated they worked for the Romans and they had every opportunity to swindle the people because the people had no idea what how much tax should be given And so they would always put a bit on top. And they became very, very wealthy. And they were hated. They were hated by the people. And they were put in this bracket of tax collectors and sinners. So these were ones hated by the people, particularly the religious authorities. Jesus comes to town and Zacchaeus wants to see him. He's a little man, so he gets up in the sycamore tree. That's where we are, that, that picture. And Jesus singles him out. Um, Jesus is not very popular for associating with tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes but Jesus singles him out uh, because he is someone's lost and needs to be saved and he said I want to come and eat with you today and so he does and whether Zacchaeus puts on a banquet I don't know and calls his friends but Jesus is eating with him and of course Jesus gets criticism You know, how is it this man is eating uh, with a tax collector and a sinner But what we see is the effect of the grace of God in the life of this man who spent all his life swindling people, or most of his life maybe swindling people and amassing money. It says this, But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Because this man too is the son of Abraham. And that was to inherit the promises. For the son of man came to seek and to save that was lost. I do not believe Jesus said this because he gave the money away. Right? He gave the money away because he encountered Jesus and the grace of God. And it was the grace of God that overwhelmed him, that changed his heart and enabled him uh, to be this generous so then as we come to an end knowing and experiencing the grace of god should produce a generous spirit in us and a fruitful life so you've got some questions there to think about this in cell but let's close and we'll pray and we'll finish early there's another miracle look at that (coughs) there's a miracle Father, we thank you that grace is not just for salvation. Father, but it has transforming power, Lord, to to sanctify us, Lord, to change us and make us more like you. Father, help us frequently to meditate on your amazing grace towards us. Lord, all that we have we do not deserve, and yet you pour it out lavishly on us. You lavish Grace upon us, grace upon grace. Father, I pray that that will transform our hearts. Lord, not that we conform to legal requirements, but that we joyfully, hilariously become generous people in all respects. Lord, we've all got a long way to go. Lord, we all clutch things to ourselves sometimes. But Lord, thank you for your promises. Lord, that if we refresh other people, We will ourselves be refreshed. Help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.